0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God and And one of the things that is always related somehow or other other, to the kingdom of God is uh, the church. And uh, there's a group of people called the unchurched, people who don't go to church anymore. They're disappointed with it, or maybe they're just too lazy, or somehow or other they're just not motivated to go to church anymore. And there's a wide variety of reasons why that might be and uh we're going to take a little bit of a look at that as well as uh things like um the word faith and uh and eternal life uh which is a big issue with uh, the uh, uh, the church people but the unchurched don't seem to have much interest in you know where they stand in relationship to eternal life they think there is a an overall encompassing concept of, uh, God and faith and destiny, but, uh, they don't really think about, you know, the the life after death that much. It's not a big issue with them, generally speaking. There's some of them, I'm sure it is. But, um, like I said, there's a wide variety of people that would be considered unchurched. Um. Unchurched as an adjective is defined as not belonging to or connected with a church. When concerning religious participation, it refers specifically to people who do not attend worship services. A worship service or church service or sometimes called a service of worship is a formal group or communal gathering to perform a wide variety of what is often called worship. In some ceremonial or ritualistic Christian tradition, generally involving some form of clergy, there is an element of the unchurched that are very much opposed to the idea of clergy and laity. You know, uh, ministers and laity. They don't like to see that distinction, although there appears to be a clear distinction of that in the first century church. I mean, Christ didn't appoint everybody a kingdom. He appointed his little flock a kingdom, said they were to be like a government, but not like a government of the Gentiles who exercised authority one over the other. Today, we can't hardly even think of the word government without thinking of someone in authority. Someone who rules over other people, makes laws, etc. But the actual historical evidence of man is that most of the time he's operating in systems of self government where it's voluntary groups that gather together. At least over the long period of American, uh, of world history. Um in America, we had, uh, Come here as colonies. Many people came to form colonies of Great Britain, considered themselves to still be a part of Great Britain. There were people that were separatists who didn't want to be a part of Great Britain, didn't want to be under the king anymore. But, uh, a lot of the people were still fine with being, you know, part of Britain. But there were other people who came from other countries. Came here to settle. I, I always remember the boat, the Sparrow, which was one of the early boats that came here with a bunch of passengers. It was really just not much more than a big open deck rowboat. Uh Did have a sail, but it, it was just an open boat. It didn't have cabins and all this kind of stuff where people could be in it. And they just came across and landed on the shores and, with some sort of supplies but it was not that big a. it wasn't a ship it was a boat (laughs) and they came over here and tried to survive and they almost all died but uh, some of the settlers that were already here helped them out eventually they weren't getting much help from the Indians as a matter of fact the Indians were kind of just sitting around waiting for them to drop dead and then they would just take their stuff Um, because they they were ill-equipped for coming to America to seek the freedom or whatever it was that they were seeking. Today, we're pretty well ill-equipped to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is what we're told to do. Somehow or other, the church was to play a part in that. Seeking of the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The church was to feed His flock. And that that's an important concept. He says, feed my sheep. Unfortunately, most of the churches think of the congregation as their personal flock. It's their flock. It's their congregation. It's their, they're very possessive about the members of their church. They don't want their church going to other churches. They don't want their church uh, to be talked to by other people who have different opinions. And uh, they they somewhat shelter them. Or are possessive of their congregational members. That is not a policy here with us. We don't tell you to stop going to other churches. We know that seeking the kingdom of God is a personal walk. Where you have to be seeking God and his righteousness. You have to be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And... We believe in the freedom of speech and that you must make these choices. And because we cannot exercise authority over you, we don't want to tell you where you can go and where you can't go. That if you assemble together with us in what we call the Living Network or His Holy Church or whatever you want to call it, it's a free assembly. You're not entering into membership into some sort of corporate group. But by the same token, a voluntary society cannot, you know, give you, you know, somebody wanted us to provide a, uh, ID and like driver's license for their young son. And, uh, because he didn't have the numbers to go into the system and get these things. We can't just do that. Uh, that, that would be a position of authority to do that. You know, we could maybe identify him. We could, you know, if they were good members of a congregation, we had known them for a long time, and we had a lot of witnesses. We could make up a church ID and provide it for him. But we don't have any authority. We're not like the governments of the world, and people should not expect us to do the things that the, that the world does. We we can provide uh, charitable uh, resources. For people in need. Uh, we've had requests just in the last week or so. From several people who were short of funds. Uh, stranded. Um, you know, had been injured. All sorts of different things. Uh, none of them are part of a congregation. None of them assemble regularly. All of them have known about us for a long time. But they don't gather together. And contribute Every week and share with others what they have so that we we get to know them they don't do that uh but when they have a need they make a request and they they seek assistance uh we've had other people uh, call me in this last week that uh come across their our, our writings and are very interested and think it's very important that people come together and But they have not joined the network of email groups that are based on geography, which are designed so that you could start forming local congregations. You know, they'll call me up and talk for an hour, but they they won't call anybody else up in the network. They won't gather with others. They won't freely assemble. And I'm sure that when they have needs, they'll be calling us for help. <laughs> but but they haven't found it in their heart to gather with others to help others. And this is what coming in the name of Christ was all about, is to come to serve. You're not coming in the name of Christ unless you're gathering with other people for the purposes of serving. Because that's what Christ came to do. I am one who... It's amongst you as he who has come to serve. So if you're going to come in the character of Christ, you have to gather together to serve. Now, the unchurched don't gather together necessarily in a church setting, although there are talk about them gathering together. According to one uh, Christian polling group, if someone does not attend church for six months, they can be counted as the unchurched. That makes a wide range of people who would be classified as unchurched. The reason uh, for not attending the church can be a very broad and unrelated reasons. Uh, they they may not like that particular pastor and haven't found another church. They may uh, not have liked somebody attending that church, and and so they're not going to attend with all the other people that they do like just because they don't like that one person. Uh, they may disagree with some teaching that they heard at that church. Maybe they don't like the music. maybe they just wanna sleep in on Sunday and they you know the church services are too early for them you know i mean the the reasons are vast, so the idea that there is the unchurched or some sort of group is is really not very um specific. It's pretty uninclusive. So anyway, I looked at a number of surveys of uh, people who uh, have studied this issue of the unchurched. Most of the people uh, you know, it says about seven in ten agree that an ultimate plan and purpose for every person exists. That's part of what most of the unchurched think. So that's 70% of the unchurched, think that there is some sort of ultimate plan and purpose. Um, one in five, which is about 19%, disagree with that idea that there's an ultimate plan. I don't necessarily know what they mean, but at least one in nine, which is about 11%, it just isn't sure at all. Almost six in ten, which is just a little over 50%, says it's important for them to find their deeper purpose in life. So, and, and I would assume that that uh, just a little under 50% don't really think that it's important that they find this deeper purpose in life. Uh, few wonder, at least uh, on a regular basis, if they'll go to heaven. Few of them actually wonder about that. If they'll go to heaven... Uh, in any kind of regular basis when they die. Uh, just under half, which is about 43%, say that they never ponder that question. And one in five, which is about 20%, isn't sure, uh, the last time the question even came to their mind as to whether they would go to heaven or not. And, and with some people who have studied this issue, this is, this is a big deal, uh, like, uh, Scott, McConnell, who's the executive director of LifeWay Research, says, if the only benefit of being Christian is that you get to go to heaven, most unchurched people don't care. It can't be the only way of talking about your faith. Is that, you know, are you going to go to heaven? And, you know, really, if you look at the things that Christ said, he almost never talked about going to heaven. I mean, it, I mean, he talked about all kinds of things. He talked about your relationship with government. He talked about your relationship with each other. He talked about forgiveness. He certainly talked about charity and love. But going to heaven hardly even comes up. I mean, in John 14, 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, he says. And boy, that is a debatable topic as to what he actually meant about my Father's house being many mansions, many places to dwell. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you Unto myself that where I am, there ye may also, you know, be. And and whether I go, ye know that, and and the way ye know. uh, Thomas then, you know, followed this up, this conversation with, with Christ about, you know, where he goes and if they go. And he says, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether you goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, again, these are Jesus' words on this, you know, which it hasn't really said going to heaven. It says in my Father's house there are many mansions. It didn't say where these mansions are or anything. We just assume he's talking about when Jesus dies or ascends into heaven and, and, uh, And so, therefore, we imagine that he's talking about heaven. But we don't know exactly. And and this is because Jesus didn't talk about it very much. But anyway, he says here, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth... Ye know him, and have seen him. Philip then says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, so again, we're back to Jesus' words, Have I been so long a time with you, and yet hast thou not known me? Philip, I mean, he's talking right to Philip. How come you don't know me? He That hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and that the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doth the works." Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father is in me. I am in the Father, and the Father in me. For else believe me for the very works sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go Unto my Father. So, you know, you can create all kinds of doctrines around statements like that. But Jesus talks about the Father writing upon your hearts and upon your minds. About the kingdom of heaven being within you. About we being temples of the Holy Spirit. That God is supposed to live in our hearts and our minds. And if God is living in our hearts and our minds... We shall do works like Christ. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean all the miracles, although it could mean that. But at least it means that we are going to be those that come to serve, come together to serve. I mean, he was sitting down with publicans and prostitutes and fishermen and all kinds of different people from all walks of life. He was gathering with them. Teaching them about what? Faith, hope, and charity. And as Paul puts it, the perfect law of liberty. That's what he was talking about. He was gathering together with people to do it. Now, a lot of the people who gather together today in what we call the church. It's this organized church. And you hear this amongst the unchurch all the time. That they're kind of against organized Religion, And of course, one of the things I'd like to always bring up is, what do you mean religion? You keep using that word religion. What do you mean religion? Now, a lot of the people who've done the unchurched survey and and, uh, researching this unchurched community, which is not necessarily a community group, although there are groups that gather together calling themselves the unchurched. But this, they want to return to a community like the New Testament church. Some of the unchurched want to return to a community like the first century church. And at least they seem to recognize that the modern church and the modern Christians who gather in these modern churches are not like the first century church, that first century Christian community. They're not like that. And they're right. They are not like that. But for what reasons are they not like that? One researcher, uh, Daryl Eldridge, you know, he talks about, you know, what kind of church do you want to be like? Like Ephesus? Like Corinth? Like Galatia? Like the Thessalonians? I mean, like, what church do you want to model after? Well, the truth is Ephesus, Corinth, Galatia, and Thessalonians were all modeled after what Christ said the early church should be. That's that's what they were modeled after. Now, did they stray from that? Did they have problems? Well, absolutely do you have problems. I mean, you have problems. Your Your spouse has problems. Your kids have problems. They're not all the same problems. But you're all seeking to be like what Christ wants you to be. The early church also had uh, uh, difficulties as assimilating new members because new members would come in with new ideas or maybe old ideas that were not necessarily compatible with what Christ was teaching. And so you have men like Paul going around and Peter going around warning the people, you know, don't go down that way. I mean, it's all about... That's what Christianity was called, is the way. Well... Jesus tells us broad is the way to destruction. Narrow is the way to the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So, yeah, those churches were all fashioned and all doing what Christ said to do. But that broad is that way to destruction. And it is likely that some people kind of turned off that way and turned on to another way that is different than, than what... Christ wanted us to do. Now it's 2,000 years later and we have to or should ask, is the church today, are those people who are the churched, those people who think that they are the faithful, are they really following the ways of Christ or are they have they gone astray as we see some of the early churches doing and of course Paul's writing about those early churches that started going astray here, there and and, and different areas to kind of warn us. Peter certainly is warning us about, you know, covetous practices and other uh, and other things that in the elements of the world and and how we would begin be entangled in the yoke of bondage. All the the uh, epistles are talking about these other pitfalls, these stumbling blocks that will draw us away from the way of Christ. People have a, a tendency to go to church, though, and listen to ministers as if those ministers know what they're talking about. And if you do that, what you're doing is assuming you're assuming a faith in those ministers. We need a faith in Christ, because Christ is definitely the Father is in him, but not necessarily the Father is in your local minister. So you have to do some thinking on your own, and we'll do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. We'll be right back. the keys of the kingdom. So, the unchurched, at least some of the unchurched, have questioned the value or the validity or the veracity of the modern church. Enough so, so that, that they no longer attend it. They're uncomfortable there. Or don't find comfort there. And of course, now here's a question. Who's your comforter? Is it the music? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people who have researched this and say, we need to do something about the music. and We need to do something about, you know, when we have our church meetings. Because some people would rather come on Saturday night. So we have to make it more convenient for people um, to get them in the church, you know, once a week so they can sit there for an hour, hour and a half. That really isn't the church. The church was a body of people appointed by Christ that called out. I mean, Jesus called out ministers to be in the world, but not of the world. And there's a reason why he uses those statements. But really, the and today, most of the ministers of the church are very much of the world, at least as that word world was used in the Greek text. Because, you know, like I, we've pointed out, there are four or five different words that can be translated into world. And they mean very much different things. So, to be of what world? Of Wayne's world? Of Disney world? Of the planet? What, what are they talking about? Well, it was very specific what Christ said. And you can look up our articles on that. So, the ministers are not to be of the world. They were to feed the sheep. And we see them working daily in the temple, a government building. Rightly dividing the bread from house to house. What bread? The bread that was given to them by the people that were gathering at the temple, in the name of Christ, and had, you know, were electing new leaders, not rulers, because we couldn't rule, but leaders to do certain jobs to take care of the sheep of Christ, not their sheep, but the sheep of Christ. They were setting every returning every man to his possessions and every man to his family. To be under God. Not under them. And they were providing the government services. But not because they were exercising authority one over the other. Or compelling the offerings of the people. But providing a Corbin for the people. Through faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty. This is what the early church was doing. That formed a community because they had nothing to divide. No way to pay the rent or the power bill or the, whatever it was that the individual was short of. You know, uh, get him a place to live, uh, you know, when he found himself, you know, stranded in Jerusalem because he broke his leg on the Appian way or whatever. <laughs> um, they were helping one another. They were taking care of one another, but they couldn't do that unless faithful Christians were gathering And sharing what they had. Which is what John the Baptist was saying from the beginning. If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. Well, it's it's really easy not to share. If you don't bother gathering together to find out how many coats your neighbor has. (laughs) So, people don't gather together. They don't reach out. They don't form a network. They don't know that somebody's in need. And so, they think... Well, there's nobody to help because I don't see anybody in need, but I'm sitting in my house. I'm not connecting with anybody else. I'm not finding out who needs what. I mean, we had, had a guy recently in a town about 100 miles away who's known about us for a year and uh, or more. I don't know. It seemed like he said it was for quite some time. And uh, I asked him, why haven't you joined the network? Why haven't you tried to gather together? Well, you know, this happened, this happened. I got busy with this. He got busy with other people. Those other people are not helping him. Uh, and see, he fell and broke his leg and his car broke down. He's literally living in his car, the broken leg, running out of money. I mean, it was, his leg was like shattered, I guess, and everything. It required surgery and all this kind of stuff. So he he's been financially devastated. Uh, he was only visiting there. He didn't have a regular job. He thought he had some other place to go back to, but now he can't even go back there. And the people who he thought was of like spirit, you know, aren't helping him. <laughs> it's just flat out. They're just not helping him. They could help him, but they're not helping him. And uh, they're choosing not to help him. And, you know, in the course of our conversation, he was telling me about, you know, I'm not mentioning names. He might even be listening, but he was telling me. And But I told him flat out when he told me that he had been bringing people to Christ for so many years and everything. The reality was he hasn't been bringing anybody to Christ. uh, Because he hasn't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He hasn't been when he found somebody, who was talking about actually doing that. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which requires, uh it will produce works. Let's put it that way. If you have faith in Christ, it will produce works where you will be actually taking care of one another. Now, he has evidently helped take care of people at times. And he, he probably is a giving individual. But he does not have a clear vision of the kingdom of God. Somebody just joined the network today talking about We're not wanting to be a part of the system of the world because they, they evidently see it as decadent or corrupting or whatever. I'm not sure. I haven't really talked to the guy much. But the key that Christ gave us was seek the kingdom of God, the government of God. And his righteousness. Well, the government of God operates by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. Has ministers, but they do not exercise authority one over the other. They are not what they call archa rulers, but servants. They're public servants. Liturgy is public service on our show on liturgy. We were showing that's what it is. Today, people think if you go to church... And you see a worship service, which we were talking about at the beginning of the program, that that consists of singing, <laughs> you know, uh saying prayers, talking about Jesus. And somehow that's a worship service to pay homage to our king, Jesus. Well, you know, Jesus has a whole parable about two sons. One says, you know, pays homage to his father and says, yeah, I will do what you want. But he doesn't go out and do it. He gets lazy or distracted or, you know, preoccupied with the fact that he's saving souls and he's not. But he doesn't actually do what his father said to do. Another one, did not pay homage. Didn't go to church do <laughs> a worship service. And... He, he says, I I don't want to do it, my father says. says, He's not paying homage. He's not going there and saying he's going to do it. Matter of fact, he's leaving. Like the unchurch leaving. But he thinks better of it and he actually goes out and does what his father wants. He actually does what his father wants. And Jesus asks, well, who is the real son? The one who paid homage, but did not do it. In other words, the one who went to church, sang and praised God and said, Lord, Lord, but didn't do the will of the Father. Or is it the one who doesn't go to church, but actually helps his neighbor and cares about his neighbor and does things for his neighbor that strengthens his neighbor? You don't want to just do stuff and so the neighbor gets lazy. So which one did it? Well, Jesus has another parable about those who say, you know, we've done all these things in your name. We had these worship services. We had these altar calls where we brought thousands of people to you. And Jesus says, get ye from me. I know you're not. Wow. But to another group, he says, you come into the kingdom. And the other group is kind of confused. They, they seem to be confused according to the parable. Us? Why us? Why, why are we being brought into the kingdom? Well, if they thought they were Christians, they would know. Because we're Christians, we go to church, we, you know, we sing songs, we, we say prayers, we listen to long sermons, so we must be. Of course, you want us in the kingdom. But they, they aren't that kind of person. They, they kind of question, why are you letting us in the kingdom? And he says, because you gave me drink when I was thirsty, when you gave me food when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked, you visited me when I was in jail. And they said, when did we do these things? He says, when you did them for the least of my brethren. You did them also for me. Okay, actually one of the big questions asked there. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Everything's pretty obvious in what he's saying. It's those it's what he's been saying all along, not those who say lord, lord, those who sing the songs who have the worship service, but those who actually doeth the will of the father. You know, those are the ones that are my brethren. And that's that's the key. You can go out and feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit people in jail. And that don't count. I mean, it may have some value, but that isn't what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about when you do this for the brethren, other people who are doing the will of the Father. You know, one one of the things the guy was telling me when I was, this fellow called up, who's stranded in town with, uh, you know, his legs on the men, but... Uh, He still doesn't have work. And, uh, and so, you know, our, our approach is, I don't know him. Uh, he just became a voice on the phone. I mean, he's got all these things that he's saying. I said, well, I need to, I need to know a little bit about you. I mean, it's one thing if I take somebody into my house. Of course, I live way far away from where he needs to be. Can't even move his car. But if I'm going to ask other people to take you into their house, I have a responsibility to those other people to check him out, so I need to, you know, have some telephone numbers of his family and and uh, and people that he knows, so I can call up and find out testimony about him from other people, and that's just reasonable. And that's that's caring about the people that might take him in, because if I call up somebody and say, "Can you take this guy in? Can you help this guy out?" can you give this guy, a, you know, a place to sleep and a place to take a shower while he continues to mend. He's he's got to see the surgeons again in uh a week or so and he's stuck in his car cuz his car is breaking down. You know, I mean we we have people who just loan you their car and people who give you a room to stay and feed you uh but if i'm going to call on them for a complete stranger i need to know that the guy's not really a child molester and that he's not you know that he isn't going to rob them or that he cuz we have all kinds of people come around that that talk the talk but you know you're just talking to somebody on the phone and so i there has to be due diligence in that process but anyway so we went we were going through that process and asking him different questions and and trying to find out a little bit more about what he needs and doesn't need and you know wh- why nobody wants to help him etc and, and the churches are are you know they they wouldn't help him at all but uh, I I mentioned some places that are shelters for people and they wouldn't really help him either to any real extent because he wasn't a drug addict or a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> he was just somebody who needed help. We only help drug addicts and recovering alcoholics or alcoholics. Well, that's amazing. You know, I mean, it's like you're, you're in a certain fold if you have, if you're a drug addict or, or an alcoholic and they'll help you. But if you just fell <laughs> and broke your leg... And your car broke down and these things that we can't help you. And you know, it's just kind of amazing. And what happens a lot of time, a lot of these charities, and it was just, it just the mechanics of it works that way. They have food bank and they have places where people go. These guys get a government check, they squander it on booze and alcohol and drugs and what have you. And then at the end of the month, they need to go somewhere. <laughs> And they need to get food from somewhere and so they're actually facilitating immorality. And we see this on welfare all the time where a woman has children by five different guys and, and her boyfriend is living with her and the government is paying her rent. Cause they don't, and they don't want to even bring it up cause they don't want to apply any morality to social welfare. And that's, that's, you, you weaken. This is, this is Sodom and Gomorrah. This is why you, your society is beginning to look like Sodom and Gomorrah because in a time of affluence, you were not strengthening the poor, you were weakening the poor. And you've been doing this in Australia and Canada and the United States for half a century and more since the sixties. And you've caused the families to break down where there used to be 3% of the children born out of wedlock. Now there's 75% of the children born out of wedlock in some communities. Some ethnic communities. And that, that number is growing in all communities. That's insane. And, and, and families not only breaking down, its value is diminished which is why you have the low birth rate in the United States and Europe and why they have to have immigrants come in because they're not giving birth to enough Germans to continue the race, the nation. They, they are in the process of decline because they're not producing enough ch- children. German women are not giving birth to enough children To keep Germany populated. It will eventually fade out of existence. So they need to bring in somebody who's willing to have children. So they're bringing in people, including rapists, who are raping German girls (laughs) to produce children. (laughs) And But they're bringing in all these refugees, uh, not properly screened, not properly vetted, that is destroying their culture. They think that somehow they're bringing them in and turning them into Germans. It doesn't work that way. It's not going to happen. Not at the rate that they're bringing them in. Germans have to go back and become Germans again. But, I mean, they're headed for a huge ethnic uh, religious war in in Europe that will bring about the deaths of millions of people eventually. And I mean, it's just going to happen. That's Anybody who has really studied history with an open eye will see that that's happening. But, back to the unchurched. The unchurched find the modern church to be unsatisfactory. The rituals and ceremonies become hollow. And so the people who are studying this are trying to find other ways to make the church uh, appealing to the unchurched. And, you know, like I said, they talk about having services at different times and and all these different things and, uh, you know, working on the music (laughs) so so that they can have their worship service. Sure, why not? But what they're not doing is finding out what the early church did. And like I said, some of the unchurched want to have a church community like the New Testament church. Well, the New Testament church was taking care of of all the social welfare of Christians. All social welfare. There was lots of welfare around. I was once on a first century church, you know, group, uh, network group. I think it was a Yahoo group. And, uh, you know, I, I brought up that fact. And they said, well, we have to go to government welfare today because we have it. That's that it's available. We don't need to go to church for our welfare, we can go to the government. They didn't have that back in the days of Rome. Or so they said. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back up a little bit. <laughs> you know, I didn't say whoa 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 in the email. That was just a conversation in an email. But this is this is you know, decades ago that I had this conversation. They didn't even understand. And sometimes half of Rome was on welfare. Literally half of Rome was receiving some sort of government aid. I mean, you got, we're not quite, well, I I don't know, maybe we are quite to that level because you got to figure how many people actually work for the government. So how many people depend upon the government for their livelihood? Well, there are people who work for the government. There are people who don't really work for the government, but they're employed by the government, which is a joke we always say when people tell me, oh, I work for, you know, the government. I say, ah, come on, you don't work for them. You're just employed. They got a job. They don't really work. It's not like the private sector where you have to produce. You know, that they they have a job and they get paid. But besides that, what was there, 48 million Americans or 50 million Americans on food stamps? 50 million americans on food stamps now that's not half but that's that's a sizable portion how many more people are getting social security that's government you know the money you pay into social security is not what you're getting back that money's gone the money you get back from social security is what is borrowed against the future of your children and your grandchildren Because the Social Security is operating on borrowed money. It's not solvent. Hasn't been solvent since its inception. Since the very beginning. Because there is no division of funds according to the Supreme Court. And so therefore if the government's in debt, Social Security is in debt. So all Social Security payments are based on borrowing money against the labor of your children and grandchildren and your neighbor's children and grandchildren. That is the that is the way it was created. It didn't become that it was that way from the beginning, but evidently your ministers can't do math and don't understand coveting don't understand becoming a surety for debt and so you don't know that because you didn't do the math, but that's the way it is and so if you're getting any kind of a government check, you're on the government dole you're you're Eating the free bread of Caesar. That's what it is. And it's the free bread and circuses of Caesar, which was the welfare system of Caesar, which was actually called Corban at times. Uh, Q-O-R-B-A-N. Which was the Roman version of the Pharisees' Corban. And the Corban of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. Your Corbin today is making the word of God of none effect too, because Corbin means sacrifice. Depending upon the benefits of a government that compels the sacrifice of the people is the antithesis of Christianity. And yet they say they believe, but they don't really believe in Christ. They've read the Bible, but they, they're they not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They're not attending to the sacrifice of Christ that allowed the apostles to divide the bread from house to house, from the temple, to take care of the needy in pure religion. They're not contributing for that purpose. They're contributing so they have a speaker system and a sound system and a better music and more comfortable pews. And a pension for their pastor, but they're not taking care of one another. And the pastors, if you, this fellow who was stranded in this town, went around to church after church. At one church he went to, he says, in order to talk to the people at the church, and it was a church run kind of charitable thing or something, he had to talk to them through a bulletproof glass. (laughs) He said, Whoa! I mean, like, would you go to talk to Jesus through a bulletproof glass? But, and this is this is not inner city town. I mean, there's more violence there than there was ten years ago, and certainly more than there was thirty years ago. It's a long ways from us, but still, you know, it, it's one of the nearest towns to us. It's a hundred miles away, but the reality is, is that the churches aren't in the business of charity anymore. Oh, they have token charity. You know, they give to, you know, Africa or South American missions. And they will have a little food drive now and then. If people only ate once a year, it'd work out great. But that's not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. So, welcome back. Well, we're talking about the unchurched. We're talking about the church, and the um, what we might talk about is unchurched <laughs> and unchurch, a non-church, a church that says it's the church but is not really the church. And see, a lot of these unchurched have attempted to adapt themselves into this paradigm presented by the modern church community, with little satisfaction nor success. You know, they're, they were seeking an intimacy with a group environment that would satisfy the gregarian nature of mankind as well as be fulfilling in what they think is the purposes of Christ. What they believe to be the purposes of Christ. And the modern church is not filling that need in them and so they drift away. They still have a sense that you know, there's a God and that there's a purpose and there's a plan, but they are not finding the answer in what they call the organized church. So they are actually, uh, there are some in the un- uh, unchurched group that are seeking to uh, deconstruct uh, the modern organized church model, and uh, which they find unsatisfactory. And they want to establish a genuine church community centered around faith in Christ and His way. Problem is, they haven't been taught His way. Even by ministers who supposedly brought them to Christ have not taught them the ways of Christ and the early church. Sometimes because they didn't know it. I mean, they, they had a genuine, they saw something in Christ that they loved and they sought Christ. And they seem to have, you know, the, that's the problem a lot of times we have this mix of emotion and spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an emotional stimulant. It's not uh, something that you conjure up. It lists where it wills. But that Holy Spirit will look a certain way. It will produce a certain kind of works in you. Are you the kind of person that wants to go out, was willing to go out of his way to help others? But also wants to make sure that the help they give actually helps others. They're not just doing it to feel like they're helpful. They're doing it because they actually want helpful. And they don't necessarily expect anything in return. You know, because some of those different things that you might do might be like Christ. But they also might be like Cain and Nimrod. Cain and Nimrod helped people. But they also brought the people into bondage. And modern church ministers a lot of times they like I say, they covet their flock because they think it's their flock. But the ministers of Christ are seeking to serve his flock. They see them the people hearing his voice. Not their voice for an hour and a half on Sunday. But the voice of Christ in their hearts and their minds and wanting to come to serve like Christ, because Christ is in them. And the the fruits of the work that they begin to manifest in their life are like Christ, helping others. Sometimes helping others is rebuking others, telling them, you know, you didn't really bring anybody to Christ. Yeah, that you told them something about Christ and you got them thinking about Christ rather than themselves. And that's not bad. To bring them to Christ is to bring them all the way to Christ. Which means to bring them to seek that community of Christ, that society of Christ, that kingdom of God, which will provide everything. See, people don't realize how far away from the kingdom they are. And so... That's why we have this kind of roadmap back to the kingdom, which is dependent upon, entirely upon, the teachings of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ talked about not just saying, Lord, Lord, but actually doing the will of the Father, we know the will of the Father is that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And so, John the Baptist did not say, if your neighbor has no coat, give them the address of a government agency that will provide him with a coat. He he didn't say that. And that's what these churches were doing for this fellow up in the nearby town. They're, They're telling him, you know, go to the government. You know, go to the Oregon Health Plan to get your leg fixed. Go to, you know, welfare. Go to food stamp programs and get your food. We can't help you. We can't even give you a free shower unless you get a note from your doctor. Now, does we wouldn't require that somebody go get a note from the doctor, but we do require that they give us some sort of evidence that they really are who they say they are. You know, I mean, if, you know, I, I always remember when I was in the service, they, they were drafting everybody's back in Vietnam era and everything. Fortunately, God spared me a great deal of that. <laughs> but, uh, but I learned a lot when I first went in. And one of the guys who was drafted in the Army, I had known back in my school days, he was a junior when I was a senior, but I had seen him around the school. He had one leg like three to four inches shorter than the other leg. His femur bone was broken when he was a small boy and his father said it, you know, like, Kind of like my my uh, clavicle was set. And that's the way they do it with clavicles. They just overlap the bone. They didn't put them joint to joint. And uh, so there's this big lump in my clavicle. Well, that's fine to some degree with the clavicle. It's a little hard when I was backpacking. (laughs) But uh, with the uh, femur bone, it makes your legs shorter. And his leg was shorter. And he walked with this terrible limp. And so he had corrective shoes. So that, you know, he had soles that were like three inches thicker on his feet. You know, so that he would walk a little bit normal. Although he still walked with a terrible limp. They drafted him. And took away his orthopedic (laughs) shoes. (laughs) And put combat boots on him. And they said that they were going to send him to Vietnam. You know, I mean, he tried to commit suicide several times while I was in basic training. And they weren't helping him get out. And uh, they were just harassing him, you know, because that's what happens a lot of times in these situations. And, uh, you know, I, I eventually went and scolded them. I said, you guys should be helping him get out. He has no business in the service. They should have never drafted him. You can see his leg is shorter. (laughs) He is, he is a cripple. You can't draft him (laughs) into the army and send him to Vietnam. The guy can't barely walk, much less run. (laughs) So, but that's the kind of abuse that was going on in those days. And I literally got out of the service before he got out of the service. They, they were just destroying him. But, uh, The reality is, is, you know, if we go back to this unchurched, the unchurched are somewhat crippled too because they don't know what the gospel really was all about. It wasn't about afterlife. Because if it was, Christ would have been always talking about afterlife. When you get to heaven. When you get... But that's not what Christ was talking about. He wasn't talking about this whole afterlife thing. He was talking about what you do now. In a pragmatic way. Pragmatic has to do with dealing with things sensibly, realistically, in a way that is based on practical rather than theoretical considerations. But the modern church... Is not necessarily dealing with the practical issues. The fact that the, you know, like I was saying with this fellow who's got his broken leg and, uh, they, they, in order to get a free shower, he had to go back to the doctor. Actually, I think it was a reduced cost for a free shower, but he had to go back to the doctor and get a letter from the doctor that says that he actually is crippled. When you can see that he's crippled, then there's a lot of ways to check whether or not somebody is crippled or not or whether all this is true. you know he's got all kinds of paperwork you know all they have to do is they don't have to but he had to pay twenty dollars to the doctor to get the letter so he can go back and get a free shower <laughs> so I mean it's just crazy they they don't have any of this practical. Common sense about Christ. Now, Christ, when he went to heal people, he was asking questions all the time. You know, like, do you believe? And, uh, and he, he, you know, uh, you know, he, he almost never healed anybody without asking them that question. We do see a few instances where he did, or at least one where he did that. But then he asked the person later on, do you believe? And uh, that was the blind man who he healed with the clay. So it's very important that he needs to know whether or not you believe it. tell you the truth, I have t- people telling me all the time that they believe. But they don't really believe in what the early church was doing. They believe, they want to believe that they believe in Jesus Christ. And they do believe in a Jesus Christ. But it is a Jesus Christ that is not complete, not whole. And so, therefore, their faith is not complete and not whole. But that's why we're here, is to seek that kingdom so that our faith becomes complete and whole. I hear lots of people talking about, oh, we have to love one another, and they got this love and touchy-feely kind of. But they, when it comes down to, what about helping this individual who needs help? Or another guy on the other side of the country who needs help. And needs help taking care of his wife. Do you want to help them? Well, actually, I see people actually helping these people. Or willing to help these people. Or wanting to help these people. But do I see these people actually wanting to help others? I mean, in an organized way. In in a pragmatic way. You know there is no bread to rightly divide if you're not giving to the minister to divide it. <laughs> you just—that's the corbin of Christ. You look out amongst yourselves and those that have share with those that don't have enough, and somebody makes sure that the people who are really in true need get helped, not the lazy get helped. Because if they don't work, they don't eat. Not the drug addict who doesn't want to give up his drugs, but still wants a place to sleep at night. You see, this is the process of the kingdom. If you want a meaningful community, that's what you need to be seeking. That's what you need to be self-organizing yourself to be a part of. You know, uh th- there's a couple other guys. One guy, I think this is Aldridge Eldridge. Daryl Eldridge, who writes this. He says, uh referring to this New Testament church, the the unchurch wanting to be a part of the New Testament church. He says, I believe we mean this when we talk about being the New Testament church. We desire for our church to be characterized by a vibrant evangelistic spirit that witnesses the power of God transforming lives. Well, yeah. And, you know, get the drug addict off of drugs. But what about the uh, welfare right? The person addicted to welfare. Addicted to government aid. Because government aid is, is provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. And Jesus said it was not to be that way with us. We were to take care of the needy of our society and pure religion without exercising authority one over the other. That's what we were supposed to be doing. So when he talks about this evangelistic spirit that witnesses the power of God transforming lives, is he transforming lives away from the welfare of Caesar And to a welfare of Christ. Well, in order to do that, you have to have the welfare of Christ. You have to have people contributing to ministers who are actually providing for the needs of people. Now, you know, we encourage people to help other people even outside the congregation. Because, you know, that's part of the evangelistic outreach. But if you're helping somebody, you know, pay the rent and you know, uh, get a shower and, and these things. But they still don't seek to join with a congregation to be a part of a free assembly that is seeking those same aids for other people. Then really should you be helping them? Should should you, because you're just encouraging their own sloth in the ways of Christ. In the ways of Christ, you actually help one another. And if you can't form that Christian community by that help, you don't want to take the time, the energy, to form that free assembly, then are you really seeking the kingdom of God in His righteousness? And should we be providing for you? Well, we're willing to give it a chance and a shot. You know, we're we're casting our bread upon the waters and helping other people. And that's good. But we will not persevere with them forever. They will not repent and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness too. Everybody wants to walk the walk alone. It's so easy to be sanctimonious when you don't have to rub shoulders with anybody else. You don't have to bump and grind with other people's shortcomings. You know, like we were talking about the church in Galatia and Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonians. They all had problems. They didn't know they had problems until they tried to come together. Until they gathered in free assemblies that were seeking to take care of the social welfare for a community. That's when they discovered they had problems. They didn't discover they had problems when they weren't gathering together. I mean, some of them, some of the problems might be so obvious that they did discover them. But where you really start discovering your problems is when you bump into other people's problems, which is why you should not forsake the gathering together. Oh, he goes on to say, this eldritch guy Goes on to say, what would your church look like if it patterned its ministry after the church of the New Testament? Well, that's easy and that's what we've been talking about. All social welfare, all social welfare would be taken care of by the church. Not by men who exercise authority one over the other. And systems that turn you into merchandise and curse your children with debt. That's, you would be taking care, there, there would be no need for food stamps with anybody within your congregation. There, there would be no need for healthcare programs. There would be no need for even social security. Now, now that's scary. People, whoa, I don't, I don't want to go there. There just wouldn't be any need for it. If you were like the first century church because they were persecuted because they did not apply at the Roman temples for their free bread. They weren't a part. They weren't members of those systems. And you know we have the free church report. And we've been going through chapters of that. And we just did you know conversation in heaven. Which was a section of that. Which would be surprising. I just posted. Well actually I'll post it again to the network. Get on the network and I'll post you the links. And uh uh I'll do it this afternoon or today. So get on the network right away. Go to our websites at hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com and look for the network links and join the network in your state area or your country area. If you're in Australia, join there. If you're in Canada, join there. And I'll send you the links to the recordings for that that course on what it meant to have your conversation in heaven. Because he used a different word there when that is translated conversation than is translated anywhere else in the Bible. He actually used a government word, a political word, polytume. But anyway, we'll explain that. And we have explained that on the recording and in that web page. And we'll send you the links if you join the network. But what that early church was doing was taking care of all the social welfare. And Christians were able to say, we get our social welfare here. And that's why Justin was writing to Antonius Pius, which we talked about. And saying, Antonius Pius, the emperor of Rome, he's saying, we gather every week and those that have share with those that don't have enough. That's how we do it. We know how Rome did it. Rome did it where he forced everybody to contribute. And then bureaucrats sent out food stamps in the form of tesserae. They didn't have an EBT card then, but they had a tesserae. And you get the tesserae, and you show the tesserae, and you not only get free bread, you get to go to the circus. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, that was one of the things that you could do. They didn't let everybody go all the time. But you you get this tesserae, and that was your little ID stone so that they knew you were eligible. And, and, and the Jewish temple did the same thing under Herod and the Pharisees. That was their Corbin. You sacrifice, you pay into the temple... And then when your parents need food or a blind man needs food, the temple takes care of that. They help them. They aren't always really good in helping, but, you know, bureaucracies are bureaucracies. (laughs) But you, if you're gathering like the first century church, you're going to take care of that. You're probably not going to be able to afford that really big, nice building you all meet in and listen to songs and stuff. You'll just have to get an iPod or something if you want to hear a lot of music. But you're going to have to pay in to ministers who actually will go around and help other people. I I could show you all kinds of programs we could start, but people have to really start giving. I mean, not just a couple bucks, you know, buy me a cup of coffee once a month or, you know, At Christmas time, you send me a food basket and I get to eat once a year. Or maybe at Thanksgiving, I get to eat twice a year. No, you got to give regularly and efficiently and pragmatically to ministers who are actually providing the welfare, the Corbin, of the needy of a Christian society. Because if you're going to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, you're not a Christian. You're falling short of the kingdom of God. You're actually a worker of iniquity, And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you because you never knew me. You weren't doing what I was doing. You weren't coming together in my name. Oh, you had your doctrine. Oh, your philosophy about the rapture and the Trinity and whatever it is that you're always wanting to talk about. You know, things that Christ never even mentions. But you aren't taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You have no shepherds who are attending the flock of Christ. And neither are you attending those shepherds. Your shepherds are Nimrod, Cain, Caesar, Pharaoh. Which is why you're back in the bondage of Egypt. So anyway, should we be expected expect God to transform those who are enslaved, he says, to immorality, addicted to drugs, enmeshed in difficult relationships, or say a member, <laughs> he doesn't say this, I say this, of the cult of Rome. The imperial cult of Rome was this system of social welfare. Once you joined up, because Rome was in debt, you couldn't leave. You see, you've joined up to the imperial cult of the modern Rome. You've got a number to prove that you're a member so that you can go down and get that EBT card and the social security and the welfare and all these kinds of things. This is how far you've gone away from the kingdom. It isn't just the churches that are in apostasy. The people are in apostasy. Because Christ said, it's not to be that way with you, but it is that way with you. So if you want back, you have to start just, all you have to do is repent. Start thinking differently. Start realizing, oh, I'm not supposed to covet my neighbor's goods. Isn't that immoral to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of governments that exercise authority one over the other? And being addicted to those benefits and having any other... I'm not saying stop taking the benefits even. Because you'd probably starve to death in a week. Or at least start starving to death. Maybe you'll just lose 20 pounds. But I'm saying turn around. Start gathering together like Christ gathered Feeding the needy of your society in a way that strengthens them. You will develop the relationships, the meaningful relationships that will create a Christian community today. And you don't have much time to do it in. So you better get started right away. So if you haven't joined the network that I talked about a few minutes ago already, you better hurry up before the end of the program. (laughs) There'll be a break here and you, you, can, you can start looking for the hisholychurch.org preparingyou.com Join the network links and I want to see everybody joining the network. And then I'll start telling you what it means to have a conversation in heaven. According to Paul and what he said and the words he used at that time. And I'm going to tell you what your pre- preachers aren't going to tell you or often don't even know. And you decide. You look it up. Uh, this Eldridge goes on to say, or does God only work in the lives of good people who just need a little tweaking? Well, you all need a little tweaking. <laughs> Some of you need a lot more tweaking than others. But in seeking that kingdom of God, you know that network of charity and love. That actually provides real salvation in today's problems. You will find the spiritual salvation that Christ offers. You have to be seeking that system of God. That kingdom of God. That government of God. If ours is to be a healthy church. Like the New Testament church. Then it will include a dysfunctional people. Who are being transformed through God's grace. That's right. Most of you, including the guy who wrote this, is dysfunctional as a Christian because you're not taking care of the entire social welfare of your society, of your community, of your Christian community. You're not doing that through faith, open, charity and that perfect law of liberty. Now to do that it will be messy. It will be difficult. It will be disorderly. But out of that chaos and out of that striving, that Christ uses that word striving, will come the Spirit of Christ and He will bring order where there is chaos. He will bring salvation where there is none. He will miraculously open the doors to the kingdom of heaven for you. We'll be right back. Back to Keys of the Kingdom, the the same Eldridge guys goes on to say to reach the unchurched, we must reverse that formula. Postmodern are looking for a community in which to belong. Once they feel accepted for who they are, they begin to change their values and beliefs. After they understand what God is calling them to be and do. They will change their behavior. Focus your Sunday schools on developing an open group strategy to which everyone feels that they belong. Well, you know, the, a person could take that too far when they, when they start saying things like accept them for who they are or as they are. Christ didn't accept people for who they are or you know he he told the Pharisees, you know. <laughs> and and he talks about telling Christians, get you from me. I know you not. I never knew you. He wasn't accepting them just cuz they you know who they are. He he as many as I love, I also rebuke. So you you have to have a standard of morality. But The repentant heart, who is not yet perfected. Yeah, okay, if that's what you're talking about, yeah, we should reach out and bring them into congregations. But when he talks about, you know, doing what the church is supposed to be doing, he doesn't seem to know. And, you know, this, this, this is where we always kind of eventually butt heads with people that if you are not caring for one another, if you are sending people to Caesar, rather than caring for one another, as a body, as a community, with a common communion, that's what a community is. They have a common communion. And that communion is when you share your coat with he who has no coat, And do the same in meats, as John the Baptist says. The community will come about through that process. That's what seeking the kingdom of God is all about. The government of God, which operates by faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. Being unchurched from the modern church is almost essential Although I don't tell you not to go to the churches, wait till they kick you out. <laughs> and they will kick you out when you point out that we should be taking care of the needy of our society by love, which is by charity, in hope that they will take care of us when the time comes. The churches absolutely walk away from that. They actually Ministers start whispering when you start talking about that. But Christ was saying it over and over and over again. He doesn't want your singing. He doesn't need your homage without the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. If He tells you that you need to love Him and you say, I love you, but I don't want to do what you tell me to do, which is to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, then you're not a Christian. You're not the brethren. And we should not help you. We are doing you a disservice if we help those who will not gather together in the name of Christ. Now, we have helped people who don't gather with us. Because we saw... A little bit of charity in their life. You have to remember, handing $20 out the window of your car to a guy with a sign may not be charity. It's giving away, but it may be an extremely irresponsible act. You may be encouraging his sloth. You may even be buying a bottle of whiskey for him to go to sleep with tonight instead of go home and take care of his children. You don't know what you're doing. It makes you feel good, but you don't know what you're doing. You're sending money off to the United Way. You're sending money off to other, you know, some orphanage in Africa. And, you know, I point out, you know, somebody I actually knew of collected $8 million dollars for an orphanage in Africa that never received a dime of that. He went from church to church in the Carolina area and up and down the East Coast and had these great stories and these great little slideshow and he would collect, they figure at least eight million dollars this guy collected. Not one penny went to an orphanage in Africa which he was talking about collecting money to support. You have no idea what you're doing because you're not gathering together in a free assembly to take care of one another with the responsibility that the early church operates. Now, I have no doubt that the early church collected money and sent it off to help people and it was wasted because it can be messy doing this. But that's why you know. I mean, we we know right away in Acts they're saying that the widows and orphans in the, amongst the Greeks was getting neglected. Widows and orphans is is it's like an idiom, the needy of your society. And and Justin the martyr you know explains very clearly by any means the sick or indigent by any means, not just the widows and orphans. They took care of it by any means the people who were in need. And that was pure religion. That's what they were doing in their church services. They might do a little singing. They might share a little bread. And all this stuff. But they actually had sacks of bread. Going out to people who couldn't make it to the service. Because making it to the service. Making it to some room or building. And getting together in a big group is fun. But that's not what it's about. What it's about is taking care of. Of the needy, so nobody has to go. Nobody has to go to Caesar and say, I need food stamps, I need welfare, I need social security. You could be taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And you would not be unchurched, you would be the church in general. Because you would be this free assembly of people who are actually loving one another. I hear, you know, it's almost like fingernails on a chalkboard. People always talk about, oh, we have to love one another. This is, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What did that first century church look like? Well, I've just been telling you. So did you join the network to find other people who are willing to hear the true gospel of the kingdom of God at hand within your reach? If you will seek to gather in a righteous fashion. Because right now, most of you are gathered in an assembly of people who are willing to take a bite out of one another in order to get their social welfare. Who are willing to curse their children with debt in order to get their social welfare. To get their benefits. And then they wake up and find out that they are not free. That they are merchandise. That they are surety for debt. And that they are in bondage in the imperial cult of Rome. Because that's where you're at. And that's where the modern church has allowed you to be delivered. Because the modern church has not been doing. What the first century church would be willing to die to do. Because that's why they were being persecuted. You want a community of people who love one another. You have to start loving one another. And that, and that word love is the same word that Paul uses when he says you have to have charity. And if you don't have charity, your ministers will have no bread to rightly divide from house to house. Now, right now, we are incapable of being the first century church. Because we have gone so far out of the way. But now we have a chance to head back, to turn around, to head back, to gather in the character of Christ, to serve one another. In... An extremely organized religion, but real religion, pure religion, religion that means not what you think about God, you know, raptures and trinities. I'm trying to think of all the list of doctrines that people have out there, you know, eternal life. I have an article up on eternal life, you know, I mean, that word eternal life, you know, it it appears only 12 times in the Gospels. And about 30 times in the whole New Testament where you see this, it, this phrase, eternal life. Now the same words that they translate into eternal life appear, you know, in slightly different forms many times in the Bible. And, you know, on our article we have a list and shows you where they appear. And, you know, this, this whole idea there is this talk of everlasting fire you know that that we we see this term uh, aeon everlasting fire everlasting destruction so it appears that we're going to be spending everlasting time one way or another now out of that you can create you know a whole dogma around heaven and hell and hell is like this and heaven is like that and but Really, Jesus doesn't go into a great detail about it. But he does go into great de- a great deal of detail about loving one another. Forgiving one another. Rebuking one another. Because that's also a form of love. And that's what I'm doing. I'm saying you're not going the ways of Christ. The way... And so, therefore, you, you're not going to have eternal life. You have to choose to turn around and go the ways of Christ. Care about one another. You know, Wayne Turner, he writes, Salvation is the supernatural act of God whereby we are born again. And he, he says spiritually, and he puts that in parentheses, into the body of Christ. Salvation is not acquired Through good deeds, as so many believe, but rather through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what Wayne says. And, to some degree, that's true. And, you know, the devil is always telling us the truth in a way that deceives us. Because he doesn't really put it in whole context, or he doesn't tell you the whole truth, or he... Puts things out of order. And it is absolutely true that you are not saved by works. But it's also true that you don't have faith if we don't see the evidence of the working of faith in you. And the evidence of working of faith in you would cause you not to covet your neighbor's goods. You, you, would, Someone would offer you free money at a government office. This happened to me once. And you'll say... I don't need that. Why would I take that money? Where'd it come from? Well, people, you know, pay taxes, et cetera, and we have this money, and we're willing to give it away. I was actually in an employment service and asking for a job. I never did get a job from them, never got any money from them, didn't want any money from them. I went out and find work, and it was very hard work. And, I mean, it was, it was, uh, sometimes when I showed up to work, it was like 20 below. <laughs> And I was working outside all day long cutting trees, and, and man, I didn't make much money at it either for the amount of trouble that it was worth. I mean, I was, I was well below minimum wage. Uh, most of the guys had given up. There was only two of us out there doing the work, and uh, uh, well, I could tell you stories about that. But it was, it was better than stealing from my neighbor through the agency of government. I was just completely undesirous of that. I didn't, I didn't use those terms. I just thought like, why, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to touch your money because I don't know where it's been. <laughs> I don't know how you got it. Well, you know, I mean, they were, they've been out robbing widows and orphans and, and taking from their neighbor and taking a bite out of one another and, and they wanted to give me a share of that pot, you know, that uh, flesh pot. And if you if you look up our article on faith, at Preparing You, we have a picture of the flesh pot. The city is the cauldron. Your civil government is the cauldron, in which they are bound by oath and allegiance to be the flesh without faith, biting one another in an unrighteous system of mammon. And uh, that is what the modern Christian is doing. They are taking from one another. They are using men who exercise authority and in an imperial cult, cult just like Rome. Just like the Pharisees that set up under Herod. And John the Baptist said, No! Repent! Turn away from that way! Let's head the other way. Moses said the same thing. Stop taking the benefits, the straw, the leeks and onions of Egypt and start providing for one another, caring for one another. And it prepared them for the Holocaust to come. You know, I've I've seen just recently in the news that, you know, that uh, children can be taken away if parents won't consent to uh, a sex change operation for their children when they don't want to be a boy or girl anymore. And, uh, which is child mutilation, but the parents can actually be taken away by the government if they resist that desire of the child. That you can actually go to jail in Canada supposedly for using the wrong pronoun. And the one who determines that you're using the wrong pronoun is some guy dressed up like a girl who wants to be referred to as she. And then, you know, I'm hearing in Sweden they have, uh, what is it? Hun and Hun. Uh, to the do, two different pronouns for male and female. And they've invented a new one that is hen. That is neither for the transgender. Now, I mean, I don't get, if people want to play that game. That's fine. I don't care. I don't hate anybody for it, but it's silly. It's crazy. It's insane. And to threaten to put somebody in jail because, you know, somebody who's confused about their actual physical gender, and want to be called something that they're not. And you're going to put them in jail because they use the wrong pronoun that that per- person referred to as a microaggression. I mean, this is insane. This is absolutely insane. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. It shows you that we are in strange times. And there's a momentum to this, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. So, I mean, you should be out building your arc. <laughs> because the, it's it's a bad, strange time. But we don't build an ark. We seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness because it's going to take a miracle to save the world now. And that miracle is coming, but it's not coming for people who just say, Lord, Lord. It's coming for people who actually do with the will of the Father because those are the brethren. And you people who are not really doing the will of the Father need to be blessing the brethren and helping the brethren maintain an entrance to the kingdom of God because one of these days the unrighteous famine is going to fail and you, you're you not really that suitable for more righteous habitations right now. <laughs> You've got to change. You've got to turn around. You've got to strive You have to persevere. You have to gather in the name of Christ. So, if you're one of the unchurched, fine. But are you seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Are you gathering together? I mean, the Christian church had no rulers. We were told we were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. This or Arcade, the rulers. They were they couldn't be that. But the Roman emperors feared the union and discipline of the Christians. It wasn't a top down ruling discipline. It was a bottom up caring discipline. Because they were they actually gathered together with lots of different ideas. But they had a common theme. In the church in Ephesus, in the church in Galatia, and the church in Corinth. They cared for one another. And so you see people like Paul bringing funds from Galatia to Corinth. Galatia was way poorer than Corinth. But difficult times come to everybody in every area. And so they were this international network of charity. And Paul knew who to take it to because they were ne- networking together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And when the Greeks were having trouble, the people in Jerusalem looked out amongst themselves, picked men they trust to create an institution through the appointment of Peter, who was in the world but not of the world, to provide, help provide for the widows and orphans in Greece. People say it was the Greeks in Jerusalem. But, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> maybe there were Greeks in Jerusalem. But it was it was talking about this internet, which you see Paul and Barnabas and all of them going about. The, the same thing was going about on a local ba- basis. We see that in other writings. Of, you know, They were taking care of the needy in their own community. But they were not just home churches. Isolated home churches. Isolated people with their own Christian walk with the kingdom of God within them. It was a network. It reached all across the Roman Empire, and this is why they feared the reunion and discipline. If the Christians decided to rise up, they were united. Well, of course, they're not going to decide to rise up and, you know, attack people and you know, overthrow the government of the world, they had their own government. They did contrary to the decrees of Caesar because there was another king one. Jesus, who started a kingdom that operated by faith, open and charity, and the perfect law of liberty, that took care of the needy of their society without exercising authority one over the other. That was the early church. Is that what you're doing? Because if you're not doing that, you're not seeking to do that, then you're not really seeking the kingdom of God in His righteousness, and you may be by sloth and wantonness a worker of iniquity, which Jesus does not know. You want to see the miracles of Christ? Remember back there when I was talking—is that these guys that you know that He's talking about? who are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He says, you will do all these works that I do and more. And you will need to do those works and more to get to the days ahead. You will need the miracles of Christ in your life. I see those miracles but I don't want you to believe by faith in miracles. I want you to believe because you actually, not just emotion, emotional feeling, but you actually love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know, in the last couple of weeks, I have said this so many times. It just seems to come up uh, left and right, talking to people all around the country. And we have somebody visiting from Texas. And everywhere, you see every problem. Uh, every conflict in our lives, you know, and these unchurched people have a conflict somehow with the church people. They see something unsatisfactory. Some of them talk about having been hurt, uh, by the church, or, you know, whatever church they were going to. But the forgiveness that we are supposed to have towards all is the end of conflict. And we create these barriers that keep us from the kingdom. Because we want to drag our unforgiveness into our next relationship. No. Let go. Forgive. And test your forgiveness. Can you give to those that you forgive? Can you love those that were you thought your enemy? Well, there's your test. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.